We have been doing a series in the book of Isaiah. We come to the final one today, final one in our series in the book of Isaiah. And I must say to you, there is a hundred more sermons that I just skipped over. <laughs> Can't do them all, all right? And so there's a hundred more in Isaiah. It's so full that it just fills your brain right up to the top. And so we're happy to have studied it for a few weeks. And we're going to finish that series today in Isaiah chapter 63 for our text today. Isaiah chapter number 63. When I was back on Uncle Ed's farm, the hardest work we had to do was filling up the haymow. The barn was a classic gamble roof barn. And the first floor was actually the basement, was where the cows were kept and milked. And then upstairs, there was a few small rooms on one end of the barn, but the whole other end of the barn was the haymow, one just great big space. Every year during the summer months is our job to fill that haymow, and there was a window up on the edge of the roof, <coughs> and the hay elevator took the bales up there and dropped through the window and down on the floor. And we would build it up layer after layer until the hay was about 20 feet high and be level with that window where the bales came in. And uh, then you knew why a gamble roof barn was built the way it was because from the window up to the top was another 15 feet or so uh, of space and way up against the roof of the barn. And so as you layered that hay up higher and higher from the window where the, the bales came in, we would make a little platform at about five feet of bales. And then we'd go five feet on the other side of the hole five more feet, ten feet up, make another platform of bales. And so when a bale came through the window, you tossed it up to the guy who was closest to you, and he grabbed it and threw it up to the other guy, and that guy threw it over the top. And some poor fellow up there in that sweat box was stacking those bales way up there. And so you filled the barn with hay right up to the rafters. Now, it was hard work tossing up bales, and it was hot work. And no breeze in that haymow right up against the roof line. And I remember one summer day, it was so hot, and the sweat was pouring off us. We were all tired out. But we had this worker named Harold Elam. Now, Harold was the strongest man I ever met. I never met anybody any stronger than Harold Elam. And we were up in a haymow. There's three of us. We're tossing bale up to that guy, and he throws it over there. He throws it up over the top. Harold came up the hay elevator. And he got in the haymow. He said, I want you boys to get out the way. Get out the way, he said. So we climbed up the top of the haymow, and Harold grabbed those bales, and he tossed them all 15 feet up the top. Now this ceiling is 16 feet. 
All right. If you can throw a bale 15 feet and have it fly through the air, uh, we loved Harold Eel. <laughs> what strength he had, what power in his arms. And with his help, finally the barn was full right up to the rafters. And we could go out of that sweat box and not go back till next year. The barn was full, and everybody loved Harold Elam. In our text today, we find a farmer's storage packed to the top. We also find a very strong man doing the work that needs to be done. Isaiah, with his wonderful way of saying things, has been through the book telling us about someone special, someone who is coming, look off into the future, and there's somebody special coming. And he has found the most unusual way to describe this person who is coming. In chapter 53, you recall, Isaiah saw a vision of a man with his face marred and bruised and swollen beyond recognition. And he told us about a plain, simple man who, as he said, like a sheep before the shearers was dumb, he opened not his mouth. He was wounded and bruised, but he refused to defend himself. And we see in that a picture of Jesus suffering on a cross with no resistance just a quiet suffering servant last week in chapter 61 Isaiah wrote Jesus first sermon for him and explaining the deliverance of captives recovery of sight to the blind healing the brokenhearted. Jesus was a preacher who preached the message of hope and joy and freedom but now Isaiah who get another one of those visions or dreams, or however it was that he came to him, (coughs) he's going to see something that he hasn't seen before. And because he's never seen it before, he's confused, as we anyone would be. So let's find out what he saw, why it was so different from what he had seen before. Isaiah chapter 63, beginning (coughs) at the very first verse. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Bora? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. It's, who is it? So who is it? And that's how he starts out. He said, I don't recognize this person. I've never seen anybody else coming towards me quite like him. Now before I remember seeing a bruised and battered man, but this person doesn't look like that. Not at all. Why, he's got fancy, colorful clothes. All dyed and beautiful. And as he comes toward me, his walk, his walk and his stride is one that shows his strength. And the closer he gets, you can see he has a presence and a carriage about him. And he exudes power the closer he gets to me. There's no weakness in this well-dressed man. So Isaiah cries out as he sees him coming, Who are you? Who are you? 
And he answers, again in verse 1, Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Boar that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength? I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. The man answers him. He says, I speak in righteousness. Or in other words, I tell you the truth, so listen to me. I am mighty to save. So whoever he is, he comes with power, and that power has a purpose. He comes to save, to rescue, to deliver, and it is not a doubtful outcome. It's very apparent that he is well qualified, he is well armed, fully capable of doing what he sets out to do and having complete victory. So Isaiah sees him coming closer. He has identified himself as mighty to save. And the closer he gets, suddenly he notices something else. So he asks another question, verse 2. Wherefore art thou red in thy apparel and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine vat? That's his question. As this man draws nearer, He sees his clothes are stained around the bottom. And so he asks, how come the bottom of your clothes are stained? It looks to me like a stain that a person gets when he's treading in a wine press. Now, a wine press could be a large tub made of wood. Or lots of times with a hollowed out rock. And the farmer would harvest his grapes and fill the wine vat with the grapes. And then in order to squeeze out the juice, he would step inside the wine press and walk around squeezing the grapes with his feet. And naturally, the juice would spray out Pray upwards and stain the bottom of his clothes. So Isaiah says, you look like you've been crushing grapes in a wine press. The strong man answers Isaiah, verse 3. I have trodden the wine press alone. Of the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury. And their blood shall be sprinkled on my garments and I will stain all my raiment. Now he says the stains you see on the bottom of my garment are blood stains. And yes, I have been treading grapes. So let's consider this amazing passage and answer some of these questions. First, who is he? Who is this strong man? And why is he treading grapes? And again, where did the bloodstains come from? Now my friends, we have read many times here together the story of the cross and how Jesus suffered on that cross. How he hung there in silence and how he bled and then he died. But this man that Isaiah sees is strong. 
His name has power to save. Who is he? Well, yes, it is Jesus. But it sure doesn't look like the crucified Jesus. Jesus on the cross died in a quiet, meek display of love. So we might think, well, try to figure out who is this strong man. Maybe it's the resurrected Jesus who was strong and powerful. No, that's not it. This is Jesus on the cross. But in a way, you may have never seen him before. So let's go on and see why he is treading grapes. Now like a barn is a storage place for hay, so a wine press is a storage place for grapes. Of course, hay is cut and dried and stored for the winter. Grapes are stored until they can be squeezed. So Isaiah introduces an idea, a wine press. It's a storage place for grapes. The grapes are harvested and stored in the wine press, piled up high, waiting. They're waiting. Waiting for someone to come and press the grapes. To squeeze the grapes and to tread on the grapes. Waiting till the grapes are stored and waiting. And the concept that he portrays to us is that the wine press is full. is ready and you're waiting. Now Isaiah's very words would ring throughout all the Bible. And back in Revelation chapter 19, we would see these very words that Isaiah used again. Verse 11, I saw heaven open, behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was faithful and true, and in righteousness he's a judge and make war. And that's Jesus on the white horse. His eyes were as a flame of fire, on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes this sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. He shall rule them with an rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Here, the grapes being stored are identified. They are called the grapes of wrath. Fierce wrath, intense anger, and the wrath is identified. It is the wrath of Almighty God. And God is angry. Very angry. Now what made God so angry? hard for us to picture it. One of the most famous sermons ever preached in the history of the whole world 
was preached by a man named Jonathan Edwards back in the 1700s in Massachusetts. And he preached a sermon that was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And to explain just how angry God was, he used a text from Deuteronomy chapter number 32. And listen as Moses writes here in Deuteronomy how angry God can be. They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger. And I will move them to jealousy with that which is not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled in my anger and shall burn down to the lowest hell and shall consume the earth with her increase and set on fire the foundation of the mountains. And I will heap mischiefs upon them and I will spend mine arrows upon them. God is angry. In verse 40. For if I lift up my hand to heaven and say I live forever, if I wet my glittering sword and my hand take hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to mine enemies and will reward them that hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh. That the blood of the slain of the captives from the beginning of revengers upon the enemy. Wow. God says my anger is so intense, it burns all the way down into hell. And I will have vengeance until my sword is drunk with blood. Wow. God is angry. He's very angry. Why? Well, he's angry because of sin. Sin simply is this. Whatever kind it is that we participate in. Sin is rebellion against God. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had everything they needed in this beautiful garden with one rule, only one. Don't eat the fruit of that tree. And the Bible says that Adam said, I know what God said. I'm going to do it anyway. And in deliberate rebellion, Adam ate of the forbidden fruit. God was angry. Thus it was, he passed down to all of his descendants a rebellious nature that defies God, spurns the rules, and scoffs at God's gifts. And says this, I'll do whatever I want. And so it was, God had to do what was just and right. He had to punish sin because he was angry because of sin. It's not the only place in the Bible. In Psalms, there's something that's said here in Psalm number 7. It kind of sends a chill down my spine. Psalm number 7, verse 11. God judges the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. Every day. Now, 
hard for us. Because God is not like you and me. No. We get angry because we didn't get our way, usually. Right? And we get angry for really no good reason. We get angry, we fly off the handle. Am I ringing close to home? We get angry and attack someone with our words. And after we've blown a gasket, why, we cool off a little and it sort of goes away. That's not true with God. Because God is angry for a good reason. He has given us life and freedom and choice and we abuse it and we rebelled against Him. So God has a good reason to be angry. But He doesn't blow up. He doesn't stomp His feet and demand His own way. He stores His wrath. Like hay in the barn... And like grapes in a wine press, God's anger is stored and waiting. It doesn't cool off and go away. Don't get that wrong. It's an intense boiling cauldron waiting. So God's anger is stored up and waiting for a day of vengeance, a day of justice. Like water behind a dam building up, building up higher and higher and higher. And more and more pressure till finally the dam breaks and everything pours out. So is the anger of God against sinners. Stored up, waiting, more and more, waiting. And now Isaiah says, the strong man who is mighty to save said this, I have tread the winepress and I did it alone. Verse 4, for the day of vengeance is in my heart, the year of my redeemed has come. And I looked and there was none to help. And I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore mine own arm brought salvation unto me. My fury it upheld me. And I will tread down the people in mine anger. Make them drunk in my fury. I will bring down their strength to the earth. The strong man said, I tread this wine press alone. I looked for help, but there wasn't any. Nobody. He's referring to something that happened with Jesus. Listen to what happened to Jesus. As soon as he was come, he goes straightway to Jesus and says, Master, and kissed him, Judas Iscariot. They laid their hands on him and they took him. And his disciples all forsook him. And fled. So Jesus abandoned and alone now went to the cross. And there he hung on the cross. And what he was doing, hanging on the cross, he squeezed every last drop of the grapes of wrath, and it was entirely squeezed out and poured on Jesus as he hung on that cross. Now I know. For myself, I have made God angry 
And that in that wine press, there were grapes of wrath stored there for me. For my rebellion. With enough anger to burn me all the way down into hell. And all that wrath had to go somewhere. So Jesus took it on himself every last drop. The anger of God was vented on Jesus as he hung on the cross. He had to be strong to take it all. He had to be mighty in order to save as He took the wrath of God. But He took it all out of Him until finally on the cross after hanging there for hours, He cried out to His Father, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? And if that anger didn't go on Him, if it went on Me, I would say, I am forsaken. And I would have went straight to hell. Where everyone goes who is forsaken of God. So the anger of God that I earned, that was stored up for me, was poured on Jesus, and I escaped. I've escaped. I'm free. Don't think of Jesus as a weak man hanging on that cross. Oh no, he was strong. He was able to take it. He was mighty to save. Now listen to what he says. Verse 7. I mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us. The great goodness towards the house of Israel which He has bestowed on them according to His mercies, according to the multitude of His loving kindnesses. For He said, Surely they're My people, children that will lie. So He was their Savior. In all their affliction, He was afflicted. The angel of his presence saved them. And in his love and in his pity, he redeemed them and bare them and carried them all the days of old. He in loving kindness took the punishment. And more than that, he took all the wrath that was meant for us. How can we ever repay For his goodness and his mercy, he says, for our afflictions, he was afflicted. But justice was served and God's anger was appeased when it had to be poured out somewhere it was poured out on Jesus. When I asked Him to forgive me, He certainly did so much more than that. How shall we escape, says the Bible, if we neglect so great a salvation? So it was the stored up wrath of God, the grapes of wrath, the wine press full and waiting. Jesus came to earth, brought justice with him, and the wrath of God was satisfied. The strong man, mighty to save, took it all. In the book of Revelation, we learn that he will come again. And when he comes, he will put down all rebellion. And for those who refuse to accept Jesus and His offer of escape and forgiveness, Jesus will come one last time again to squeeze the grapes of wrath and the anger of God will destroy the rebellious Antichrist and all of His followers. They'll drown in the outpouring of the grapes of wrath as Jesus comes again. But you and I, we have a way to escape. 
We escape the wrath. Enjoy the loving kindness all because of Jesus. So believe him and accept him. Serve him. He is mighty to save. You've sung it plenty of times. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He is loose the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Thank you, Jesus, for being so mighty to save. Taking the wrath of God in our place. May God bless you as you trust Him and thank Him for such a wonderful escape from the grapes of wrath. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for what You did. We can't take it in but to say we're sorry. We're sorry it had to be that way. And we know that the wrath of God would have ate us to pieces. And so, we're glad to be free. And we thank you for what you did for us on that cross. And we have underestimated it over and over again. We don't want to do that. We want to recognize that he who is mighty to save has come to our rescue His garments are dipped in blood. And it was us who brought him there. We are eternally grateful in our hearts for what you have done. Bless us now, we ask. We come to you in the mercy and loving kindness of God, accepting the goodness that you gave. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Closing, I'd like you to turn to me to 479. 479, standing as we sing, at Calvary, 479, at Calvary. Page 479. Thank you.
taken that mighty wrath of God upon yourself. We are grateful that though we have done so much against you, that you have forgiven us. You have taken all the anger of God and we just need but confess our sins to you. Ask to be forgiven and all is forgiven. All is washed away. Mercy <coughs> is great and grace is free, Lord. And though we have many, many sins, you have par the, our pardon has been multiplied again and again and again, and we have been cleansed. We thank you for this great opportunity. Help us, Lord. Help us to live in such a way that others would know about this great, wonderful message, Lord. Help us to tell others. Help us to be here as a light to shine in the darkness. We are thankful for these many things and that you have done this great and mighty thing, Lord. We just ask for your help and your guidance, your care and your protection on us all throughout this coming week. We ask for all these things in your name.